Have you been baptized as a believer? That's a good question to ask, right? It seems like a, the, the most easiest command in the Bible to obey. You believe and, you, and then baptism follows as a believer. Next week we're having uh, baptisms at Lake Michigan. If you have not been baptized, uh, get baptized. If you're a believer, get baptized and we'll be baptizing in the lake after the service. Uh, a lot of churches, what they do is they call for baptisms the day of, like, like right now. But we don't have a baptismal here. And so we're giving you one week to prepare. Contact Pastor John and we'll get everything set up for you, explain baptism to you and what that all entails. But one week, we'd like everybody to be there to watch and hear the testimonies of those who are getting baptized in the lake. It's going to be fun. Well, let's turn to 1 John. We are in 1 John right now. We have about three more Sundays in 1 John. Then we're going to start uh, an Old Testament book you're all familiar with called Malachi. Right? Malachi? Remember that one? It's in there. And then, Lord willing, around Thanksgiving, we'll just start Matthew for the next 10 years or something like that. But we're in 1 John now, and we're in 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Let's all stand as I read this morning. God's about to speak to us. Let's listen. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You may be seated. We sure have heard a lot about love in 1 John. Seems like every week the message is about love. 
But I don't want you to miss the context of where all this love is taking place. John's church is under a lot of pressure. False teachers have invaded the church. They've been skewing Jesus, who he is. False teachers have invaded the church by spreading their lack of love, lack of morality, spreading worldliness, causing division. And what happened? These false teachers split from the church. Some within the church decided to follow them. I'm sure some followed them and came back. I'm sure some were undecided. And so this church that John is writing to about love is in a mess. It's in disarray. There's tension. There is pressure. They're trying to figure out how to move forward in their broken relationships filled with confusion and anxiety about the future and a general sense of what in the world just happened. You ever experienced that before in relationships? What in the world just happened? Everything's fine, going great, and then bam, drama. I mean, we, we, we know that there's drama in, in marriages, but if you've ever had a, a roommate, right, and you're in college, uh, post-college, even roommates can have drama, right? Yeah? I used to know this one guy, his roommate, and they were doing fine, but then they started to have a lot of tensions and pressure, and his roommate uh, decided to pour Coke all down his computer, not cool, right? And, and, and a lot of unpaid rent started to happening, and then a lot of tension, third-party legal issues brought in. You're like, what just happened? We, we were fine. And then tension and pressure and just this breaking up of relationships and then there's strain. Now imagine a whole church filled with that. And that's what John is addressing. He's addressing a whole church who has these strained relationships, these tension, this pressure, and he jumps right into the middle of it and he calls them to love one another. Now, if you've ever been to, under been a lot of stress or conflict with others, the last thing that you want to hear is to love, right? Like if you're like fighting with someone, you're not getting along, you got a lot of problems. How do you feel when someone comes up to you and say, come on, just love them? And you're like, oh man, I, I don't feel like it. And even if I did feel like it, I don't feel like it is humanly possible to love them under so much pressure. You ever feel that way? Like, I just can't. I know I'm supposed to, but I can't. It's like, like if you were laying here on the ground and we had the whole Northwestern football team come and pile on top of you, right? in the biggest dog pile ever, all the way up as high as it could go, and you're at the bottom, and the coach comes up to you and says, okay, get up. No, you can't. The pressure's too much. And that's what it feels like when you're called to love. You're like, I can't. I don't have the ability. I cannot even move. I don't have the desire. I just, I just can't love. And John is addressing the whole church, and he knows it's hard, and yet he still calls them to love. And what's interesting is that as John is calling them to love, he's not giving them conflict resolution skills. 
He's not trying to give them tips or suggestions on how to love better. And there's nothing wrong. If you want to give me some conflict resolution skills, I'll take them. There's nothing wrong with tips and suggestions. And they all have their, their, their proper place. But John wants to give them something deeper than methodology. John wants to give them theology. Tips and suggestions have their place. But they often fall flat when we feel this inability or this apathy. And that's why we need theology. And if, the, if you're getting hung up on the word theology, let me give you a word in its place. What we're going to do is we're going to dive deeper into the heart of God. And as we dive deeper into the heart of God, as John takes us into the heart of God, we're going to see, wow, the origin of love does not derive within ourselves, but the origin of love is actually God. And the way he's expressed it to us. And then he's actually given us the power to love. And then what? Our motivation can actually be because he loves us. You see, when you got such a huge passage like this, I mean, we just read 7 through 21. It's a lot of verses. You can get kind of lost in this. But just to kind of break it down for you, we're going to look at the origin of love, how it's expressed to us, power, and motivation. And this is real stuff because we all have people in our lives we find it challenging to love and the tension. So let's see what God's word has to say to us about loving one another. So let's start with verse 7, jumping into the origin of love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is, you can circle that in your Bible if you want, is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the origin and the source of love is God. And if you look down, if you want to jump down, that love is not only from God, but look at verse, it says it, verse 8, to the very end of verse 8. Anyone who does not love, because God is love. Now jump down to verse 16. So we've come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, there it is again. God is love. So the key attribute of God is love. And, and this attribute of God's love is transferable to everyone who loves God. And that's why verse 8 is very clear. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if a person, and this is kind of confusing at first, but if a person does not love, then they do not know God because God is is love. At his core, he is love. Now, this does not mean that all the loving acts that you may see in the world done by people of, of different faiths, it does not mean that John is saying that they are from God. What he is saying very clearly throughout the whole book is the necessity of faith. And if someone says that they have faith in Jesus Christ, that means they are born of God. They are born again. And once they are born again, they will for sure have this expression of love. Maybe I'm losing you. Maybe I'm losing you. You know, when you uh, think a lot about science fiction or fantasy, you, you, you think, that's what I sound like right now. Like, this is like fantasy, science fiction. Because what I just told you, it seems hard to explain. Like, go to someone in this world who does not believe and say, okay, look. When someone believes in Jesus... They are born again. A new birth takes place, but they don't actually physically die. But a second birth takes place. And 
to show that they've actually been born again, the characteristic will be love. You're like, that sounds kind of like fantasy. You're kind of like, that sounds like a movie or something. But it, it could be that fantasy and science fiction are actually mimicking things in the spiritual realm. I, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, the movie Inception, where the, the main goal, it, it, if you don't get into these kind of music, movies, it's, it's fine. You'll be better without them. But this concept of Inception is that, is that to go into someone's head during their dreams and plant an idea so they'll actually embrace the idea uh, as their own. Like right now, some of you are trying to figure out what you're going to have for lunch, right? Chipotle or Panera. You're trying to figure that out. And as you're thinking about that, you're drifting off to sleep during my sermon. And while you drift off to sleep, uh, let's just say that I or someone really wants you to have Chipotle. And so while you're sleeping, they will hook up to you somehow, enter your dream, plant the idea in you that you should have Chipotle, and then you will wake up. And we will want to see, did the idea take root? Did it actually land in there and you embraced it as your own? And if it did, voila, the inception, I guess, worked, right? Well, here's what we're talking about in the spiritual realm. God is love. And when he causes someone to be born again, this, this might sound weird, but when he causes someone to be born again, he places his seed inside of them. Oh, that's from 1 John. Look at, uh, look at chapter 3, verse 9. Jump there. Chapter 3, verse 9. Look. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the seed is talking about probably about the manifestation of God dwelling within someone by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, are you still with me? So, what you're saying is that God is love. When he causes someone to be born again, he opens their mind and their heart. He plants his life, his seed in them. And what we want to see is, um, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but did the inception take root? Did the idea land? Did they really become born again? And you'll say, well, well, how can you tell? Love. Are you tracking? Love. Do you love one another? If God is the source, if he's caused us to be born again, that will be manifested in love for one another. It doesn't come from our resources. It's about God. He is the origin and the source of love. All right, so we got the origin of love, so we think, okay, there's something that has been changed within us that moves us out to love that wasn't there prior to becoming a Christian. All right, well, let's talk about, well, how has God expressed his love to us? This is a, it's a long passage. Come on, let's stick with me. How did God express his love to us? Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now jump down to verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All right, let's stop there. So how do we know that God loves us? 
Like if you're trying to explain to a child, you're trying to explain to your friend, how did God express his love to us? He expressed his love to us, and he expressed his love to us by the sending and the sacrificing of his son. He sent Jesus into the world so that we might live. The eternal one in history took on flesh, the son took on flesh. The father sent him, and not only did he send him so that we may have life, but specifically he sacrificed him as a sacrifice that's called the word propitiation. That's, That's a word you talk about a lot, right? Propitiation. What in the world does that word mean? Well, that word has everything to do about with how God loves you. Propitiation is simply a sacrifice that turns away wrath. So we talk about the propitiation of the cross of Christ. As he was on the cross, the Father, instead of pouring out his wrath upon our sin, poured out upon his wrath upon his Son. And the sacrifice was sufficient to turn away that wrath. So now the Father loves us. And we know that he loves us because he sent his son and he sacrificed his son. And because he has sent and sacrificed his son, we are now forgiven. There is no greater truth in the world. There's no greater news in the world. There's nothing I could tell you better than that. You are completely loved through the sending and sacrificing of his son, Jesus Christ, if we embrace him by faith. So what does this have to do with our love? What does God's expression to us have to do with our love? Well, look at verse 11 and 12. We can now express it to others. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The argument he's making is that because of propitiation, big word once again, we can now love other people. We've been loved by the Father through the propitiation of his son on the cross, the sacrifice, turns away wrath. Now we can express love to others. It's saying that we are so loved by God. He's expressed so much love to us. He has accepted us. He has not rejected us. And out of that place of freedom, we can now move toward others and love them because he accepts us. He does not reject us. But when you're in conflict, when you're in tension, One of the things that you can often feel is that the other person that you're in conflict with is rejecting you. It's as if they're looking at you and saying, there is something at the core of who you are that I do not like, therefore I am rejecting you. Even though they might not ever say that, that's what it feels like. When we're having problems with other people, we feel at this core this rejection. And and what John is saying is like, my my, my dear children, you're not rejected. You're accepted because of propitiation. And since God has so loved you and accepted you by his son's death and resurrection, you can now love and express that to other people. Are you starting to understand a little bit, just a little bit, why theology matters? I can give you all the tips counseling, suggestion, uh, all these conflict resolution skills in the world. But when someone rejects you, it kind of all goes down the drain, doesn't it? Like what if I trained you to really work out conflict, you got your skills, you're ready to try them out with the person you're in conflict with, you try them, and you're like, 
it does not work. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. It does not work. I've tried to work. It just doesn't. This is why theology matters. Theology says, even when someone else rejects you, you can move toward them in love. Because you are dearly and deeply loved by the God of this universe. It still doesn't feel good when someone rejects us. I know it does not feel good. It hurts. It's still there. But we can say, okay, look, I'm going to keep moving towards you in love. Because I'm loved. And the God of the universe who has all the reason in the world to reject me accepts me. And so if he can accept me, I'm going to move towards you and love you no matter your response. That's gospel. That's gospel. So we got this origin from God. We got the expression. And, and you may be agreeing so far. You'll say, okay, I see the origin. I see the expression. But I certainly don't have the strength within me to love someone else. You ever said that? I just can't do it. I, I don't have the ability. And John's going to say, oh, but you do. Let's look at verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, trace his argument here. He's saying, okay, the Holy Spirit is in you. That's a proof that you abide in Jesus and he abides in you. And part of the assurance that we are Christians is that God lives in us. He gives us power to live this holy life. And what he is saying is that since the origin of love is God and it's been implanted in you by this seed, you now have the power to express it by the Holy Spirit. And the argument he's making all along is that love is possible not because of you, but because of God. It's a very God-centered view of love instead of a man-centered view of love. Man-centered view of love is totally different than God-centered. And John says it two times to make sure you know where love comes from. Uh, look at the sea. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Jump down to verse 19. Very God-centered view again. We love because he first loved us. Do you see this? Like if you're trying to love with a man-centered view, uh, what you're going to try to do is say, okay, let me see how strong I can be. Let me check out my human resources. But John is saying, no, no, no. Let's talk about a God-centered view of love. And we move into a God-centered view of love. We're talking about love expressed through us. I love this. It's a love that's expressed through us, but it's a love that is derived outside of us. It's not about our resources. It's not about our skills. It's not about our ability. It's not about our personality. It's not about our upbringing. It's talking about something that is expressed through us but derived outside of us. And we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. So, when I come up to you and you're telling me about all the problems that you're having with so-and-so and I talk to you about loving them, and you say, impossible. 
impossible should not be a Christian response. I understand that's the way you feel. But if you say impossible, your view of love is completely man-centered. I'm not being mean. I I, I get the same way, okay? But if you say that you can't love somebody, no matter what, you have a man-centered view of love. You're looking at your own resources, your own strength, their their personalities, yours, your clashing. That's man-centered. But when you step away and you say, okay, God, where are you in this situation? You insert God, his power by the Holy Spirit, then you start to have a a, a God-centered view of love. My 10-year-old daughter this week gave me the best God-centered advice on how to love someone you're having problems with. So if you want to know how to love someone that you're having problems with, here's a very God-centered way to do it. She said that she learned that she, when she's having difficulty with someone, she learned what you need to do is pray for them every day for 30 days. Well, how about that? Because the last thing you want to do is pray for them, <laughs> right? Well, how about praying for that person every day for 30 days? And what you'll see is God is starting to work his heart into your heart. And who knows, 30 days later, you're like, wow, I found my heart change toward them. And I actually kind of want to love them. I don't really like them much, but <laughs> I do want to love them. And then maybe after a while, you start to like them. You're like, and you never know what God can do. Change it in your heart. I'm praying a God-centered view of love. So we have the origin of love. It's in God. We have the expression and the propitiation of Jesus. And we have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, a very God-centered view of love. But we need some motivation. We need some motivation. And John's going to motivate us. And and guess how he's going to motivate us? With the love of God. Look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My brothers and sisters, you are more loved than you have ever expected. And it's out of God's gracious love to you that is supposed to be the motivation to love others. You're not supposed to love others because you fear God's judgment. You're not to be motivated by fear. We're supposed to have a healthy reverence for God and of his holiness. But you know what? Believers don't fear the day of judgment. Believers have confidence on the day of judgment because we are in Christ and we know that we are in Christ through faith and we see Christ's love being expressed through us to others. And it's a great question to ask. Are you more motivated to obey God out of his wrath coming against you? Are you more motivated to obey God out of love? 
That's a great question you're asking. John is saying there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We are the ones who have confidence on the day of judgment, and we move out with a reverence toward God, but we do not fear God's wrath. We are motivated by his love toward us. So I ask you again, are you more motivated to obey God, to love other people because of his wrath or his love? A professor at Wheaton College asked this, you know, Wheaton College, it's, you know, a lot of evangelicals go there. I guess all of them go there. They have to go there. They believe to go there. And a lot of them are raised in Christian homes and they're raised in Christian churches. And, and so one of the professors asked the question to his New Testament class. He asked the question if they were more motivated by God's love or God's wrath. Great question. I'd love to ask and do a survey here. So they're supposed to write this one-page paper to explain their motivation for the Christian life. And unfortunately, the results just totally shocked him. This is a little bit of what he says. He says, over 90% of the class admitted privately that the possibility of God's disfavor and wrath had shaped their Christian outlook since childhood. My guess is a lot of you will fall, would fall into that exact same camp, that the Christian life is being shaped by God's disfavor, or at least the possibility of it. He said that God's unending love was not foremost in their minds, but his possible pl- displeasure was. Christianity, they reported, was really about following the rules. And if Christianity is just about following the rules... Just go and lump it in with the rest of religions in the world. Of course we obey and follow commands. Is this but it's about rule following? When I told them it was not, you could hear a pin drop. These were mature young men and women who came from strong evangelical churches and families, and their reflex was to please God so that he would continue to favor them. They had not learned to please God because he already favored them. Do you, do, you know, do you understand the distinction? You can please God, not because you're saying, come on, God, check me out. Give me some favor. No, God says, I favor you. I love you. And you're like, I want to please you, Father. Do you see the distinction? One is about grace, and one is about something entirely different. Of course we want to please our Father, but it's because he already favors us. So out of this position of favor and love, we obey. Do you see the motivation? Out of the position of favor and love, we're motivated to love others because our Father favors us. Hopefully you've not uh, been drowned too much by this theology. But hopefully the theology that John is offering is putting the command to love one another in the right perspective. He finishes up with the command to love. Look at verse 19. Let's finish up. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Is the commandment to love one another impossible? 
You're not the person on the bottom of the dog pile. I know it feels like it. But you have the ability, the resources, the motivation, the life in God to love one another. It's not an impossible command. And I know the pressure and tension can be very great, but we can, we should, and we must love one another. And John, once again, is riding into a pressure-packed situation where this church is in deep conflict. Great pressure. And I can just, I can praise God and stand before you right now and, and say, you know what? We are not a church in deep conflict. Praise God. But you know what? We always have to be on guard. And we all have, all of us, every single one of us, have to be intentional about loving one another. Especially as we head toward this fall. And you know what's going to happen this fall? Is we're going to have a lot of new relationships. New people are going to be coming. New people are already coming from meeting one another. We have these new relationships. And we have uh, these ways we're going to encourage you to push out, to love one another more, and to be on, on mission. And I don't know if you know this, but did you know, did you know that this fall, we are going to attempt, by God's grace, to train more leaders at one time than we ever have before at the history of EBF. Did you know that this fall, these leaders, by God's grace, are going to attempt to facilitate discipleship among more people, by God's grace, than we've ever had before? And did you know that these leaders who are being trained to make disciples and that these disciples are going to be equipped and trained to move toward one another in ways they've never cared for each other in deep ways. Move toward the lost, hurting, and broken in the world in ways we never have before. All of this is going to call for great intentionality of love. Now, I know a lot of you are new and you're like, what are you talking about? And I, ju I just want to fill you in. Last year, our church went into this gigantic pause for a whole year. About 30 people gathered together. We prayed. We sought God's word. We said, God, what do you want us to do in the future? Where do you want us to go? We studied books. We studied the word. We taught. We met. And after countless hours, you would think that we'd have some grand, organized, big, shiny, new vision for our church. And we would just roll it out for you. And I'm sorry, we don't. We don't. Our conclusion is kind of underwhelming. What we decided to do is said, hey, let's bring everybody in on the conversation. That's a grand task in and of itself. Let's bring everybody in on the conversation of what we've been talking about from God's word and include everybody and not just throw out some grand vision. And so what we decided to do is create these, these groups called ethos communities of 15 to 30 people that meet in homes, condos, apartments, wherever, and these ethos communities are going to get together and they're going to pray. They are going to fellowship together. They are going to have discussion around God's word. And, and they're going to go out on mission together. So basically what I'm saying is that the ethos communities are not the grand vision. Not at all. They're just ways that we just thought would be best to, to keep the conversation going. 
to facilitate ideas of discipleship and being on mission and engaging our culture with Jesus. And, and, you, and you know, since we decided to do it this way, it's going to be kind of messy, right? I know you want everything organized and fixed in place, but when we start in the fall, it's going to be kind of clunky. It's like, oh, what are we doing? Start, stop, what are we doing? What are we talking about? Where are we going? And, it's, and you know, what it's going to call for is we need to be gracious with one another. We need to be loving to one another intentionally investing with one another, intentionally reaching out to new people, intentionally saying, okay, I'm scared to death, but moving in new realms of faith and faithfulness. And that's where we're going. But before we get there, your heart needs to, I guess in some sense, be right with God in in the way that you know him. Because the reality is, a lot of you right now, and I'd love to s- separate you into four groups, but it, my guess is there is a group of people in here who, who you have been in church your whole life, and you actually believe that God does not love you. You've heard the gospel thousands of times, but you believe that God does not love you. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray specifically for you. But there's another group of people in here that are really, really wounded. Someone has hurt you. Maybe a church hurt you. An individual hurt you within a church. Someone in your family hurt you. Someone hurt you, and you're you're just bleeding out right there. I want to pray for you. But then there's some others in here. What, What you really need to do is you need to forgive someone. And right now, you're you're not doing it. You know who they are. You see the face. You know you need to forgive them. You know you need to move toward them in forgiveness. And for whatever reason, you're you're not doing that. And not only do some of you need to forgive people, but you need to go and ask someone to forgive you for the way that you have wounded them. And chances are there, every single person in here knows someone in your life that is very difficult to love. And you have zero ounce of desire to love them. But you know you need to love them. I want to pray for you also. So we just kind of want to just go to this time of, of prayer. I want to pray for you. I really want to pray that God actually would speak to you through his word, by the power of his spirit, right now as we go to this time of, of prayer. So let's, let's just all bow and pray right now. So I'm, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand or whatever, but if you're here right now and you really don't sense, feel, whatever word you want to use, you don't feel like God loves you, just, just say, yeah, that, that's me. And Lord, in a way that you, you have never done before, impress upon their heart and their mind how much you love them through the the sending of your son. You sent your son as a sacrifice for their sins. Impress upon them that if they have repented and trusted in Jesus, they are more loved than they ever expect. They are loved deeply. I know there's some here that are really struggling with this. Lord, impress upon them that you love them and you accept them. You, you like being with them. You like when they talk to you. You like when they trust you. 
impress upon them that you love them. And Lord, for those who are just wounded, hurt through it, whether it's divorce, hurt by their parents, hurt by their friends, their spouses, they're just, they're done because they are just wounded. Just, just let them know right now that you love them. You have seen what has happened. You have seen what has gone on. And you care about them. Lord, impress upon them that you love them. You will never leave them. You will never forsake them. Maybe a church has hurt them. Maybe pastors have hurt them. Whoever has hurt them, let them know that you love them. And for those that need the power or even just the will and desire to actually love someone who's very difficult, whether they need to love a difficult child or a difficult parent or a difficult friend or someone difficult in the church or at their work, give them the desire to start praying for that person today and every day and then start to change in their heart this morning. And Lord, if there's anybody here who needs to, to forgive, offer forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, melt our hearts, Lord, break our hearts to move toward others in love. Lord, we want to be consumed by your love in, in a right understanding of it that we have been so loved by you through the propitiation and sacrifice of your son. We are accepted and loved deeply. Impress that upon us now. Encourage us in your love now. That when we start singing, when we start interacting, when we start living life together, there's something significantly changing. There's, there's the power of the Spirit changing our hearts as we're becoming more and more like Christ. Lord, live your love through us. May the invisible God become manifest in the way that we love one another. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.